musical makes me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. This is the Conquer Local podcast, a show about billion-dollar sales leaders, marketers leading local economic growth, and entrepreneurs that have created their dream organizations. They want to share their secrets, giving you the distilled version of their extraordinary feats. Our hope is, with the tangible takeaways from each episode, you can rewire, rework, and reimagine your business. I'm George Leith. On this episode, we welcome Mark Gervin. Mark got into sales at a company involved with the early days of voice recognition software, and this is where he fell in love with the art and science that technology can bring to the sales business. This passion led him to fill roles as Director of Channel Sales at Platform Computing for IBM. He was the VP of America's Field Operations at Verisent, and now he is the Chief Commercial Officer at FreshBooks. He delivers significant growth in new business markets and focuses on operational excellence through developing teams and motivating change across functional groups. At FreshBooks, Mark leads the efforts to grow their community of loyal micro-business customers. I met Mark a number of years ago, and we're really excited to have him on this edition of the Conquer Local podcast. So get ready, Conquerors, for Mark Gervin coming up next on this week's edition of the Conquer Local podcast. Mark Gervin joining me on the phone today. Hello, Mark, all the way from Toronto. Hey, George. Nice to be here. So for the folks listening, Mark and I have been trying to put this episode together for almost three years, and it's <laughs> bo- mostly been my calendar that's been screwing up. But uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. We we described your fantastic organization in the intro, but tell us tell us how you arrived at uh, FreshBooks and what a, what a juggernaut you guys have been building. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, it was uh, like most things in life, a little more uh, happenstance than uh, than divine intervention. And I, um, I actually was giving a um, an interview uh, for a recruiter who was hiring a, a director of sales. Uh, had never heard of FreshBooks before. I had been on the large enterprise side and really didn't uh, have uh, a lot of depth in, in SMB. And this was eight years ago. And um, I was surprised that they didn't have anyone running their sort of commercial uh, commercial motions. And he put me in touch with the founders and um, we started up a conversation that was sort of like, I don't want a job. I don't have a job for you. And then over time, we just really clicked and I got super interested in this whole SMB space that was really, really emerging, uh, I think, eight or 10 years ago uh, before we've seen, seen all these software companies and organizations like yourself um, grow up. So that got me super excited and I signed on and uh, here we are today. You know, I, what we were hoping to talk about on this episode, I, I can't think of somebody that would be better to, you know, to go through monthly recurring revenue and why it's so important. And um, as you know, the audience, when, when I was telling you about the audience we built here at Conquer Local, it came from our 60,000 channel partners. Some of them are solopreneurs. Some of them work on sales teams. We got a hundred thousand some odd salespeople that are in the platform that can access the content. And I, I've been preaching the gospel of monthly recurring revenue 
for a number of years and, and you live it inside FreshBooks um, because a lot of your customer acquisition is organic. Like they find you online and a business just signs up direct on the website, correct? Correct. Yep. Nope. We start about 65 to 70,000 new trials a month of, for our software from um, from small businesses across, uh, you know, mostly English speaking um, places in the world. So the, the thing that I think it's important for the audience, because, you know, even um, even my background is that transactional carry a bag, sit across the customer, get the deal. And we've moved. Mm-hmm. We've it's exciting because we're using technology um, to change the way that sales is done. And, and we hear all these buzzwords like sales changed more in the last five years and changed the last 50. Yeah, no shit. Every industry is kind of going through that right yeah. now. Banking's going through it. Accounting is going through it. So let, let's talk about why monthly recurring revenue is so important. And I think it's important what you said there was that you're using a trial infrastructure to kind of map the fact that buyers buy differently now. Correct, correct. Yeah, I think the, um, as you said, try before you buy and not getting locked into, you know, what it would traditionally have been yearly or two or three year contracts has become um, become the norm. And I think it's good because I think it, it forces us uh, all to be, um, really understanding what our customers' needs are, and, and they'll pay us more over time. They just want the flexibility uh, if we don't deliver the service the way they need it to uh, to opt out. So, you know, we face it every day in our business. Sort of, how do we manage monthly recurring revenue? And and it it makes you be a much more accountable business for things like customer churn and really understanding, you know, your your full full life cycle, just not the first sale with uh, with customers but even i look at so most of our customers george are are service-based customers so eight ten years ago you you basically charged for your time right so that's the most transactional sort of a hundred dollars an hour for your for your time and we've just seen this great um sort of change even in our customer base where and we've been trying to help them get there where it's like how do you create value-based pricing or even services that can be delivered as monthly recurring um, revenue where it's not as much a la carte, but it allows you to scale your, you know, your, your, uh, your offerings uh, faster. And the, the successful companies we've seen out there have really sort of embraced more of the monthly recurring revenue versus saying, I'm going to invoice you just for my, my time and materials or my expenses in a, in a one-off basis. So the, the reason, and I want to just take and expand a little bit of what, what I think you said. So the reason why it's important to an organization, whether it be one individual or a team of five or a team like FreshBooks of 700, is that you can pretty much count on that revenue and you can forecast around it based on your install base. And then if you know what you're losing, um, you can start to really dig into why that's happening and, and really understand it. But what you said back, I think it's really important to pull this up. Monthly recurring revenue isn't a you know a, a right that you're going to get that revenue. You still have to deliver, and it forces us to be really focused on the customer's net promoter score and whether they're they're involved, they're engaged, they're using, they're finding value, or you don't have a hope in hell of getting the upsell or, no. or getting an expansion. And you'll probably end up losing the customer at some point in time. It, it does uh, a bunch of interesting things that I think are super net positive, but they they um, they probably shake the norms inside an organization because you have to understand the full life cycle of a customer it forces the groups the functional siloed groups to work a lot closer together right so 
whether it's, you know, marketing bringing in or sales bringing in the, the, the customer on the front end, um, the type of customer, the expectations you set is going to set up your support team, uh, your lifecycle marketing, the people who prevent churn. They, they really have to understand like how to service um, a customer. And then obviously you'll have different segments of customers. And, and so that uh, if you can build that properly, it becomes a real competitive adv- uh, advantage. And I think we see that at FreshBooks. You know, most people would say, oh, you're boring accounting software. How can you be different than QuickBooks or some of the other things? And I say, well, we really focus on that life cycle of our service-based customers. Others, great platforms might focus more on how the accountant consumes the software and just really getting in there. You can build a moat around um, around your business in a, in a really interesting way. And then the other thing we, we have found over time is once you really start servicing the customer, the ability to incrementally increase your monthly recurring uh, with a customer, either through more features, other packages, um, you're a conduit to that customer and you've built a trusting uh, relationship and, and it's solid. It's it's as good as a, you know, we, we now have data, we've been operating for 15 years, we have data on monthly recurring revenue that it's more solid than when someone signs an annual or a you know two-year contract with us because they want that 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 hook with us to keep us honest. Well, and it's good for the culture of the organization because you're you're earning the renewal every month. Yep, you you absolutely you have to earn it, and you also have to, as you said, it it probably puts you caring about things a little less, like first time revenue in the door. You care about customer engagement, if you're in a in a software or a product-based business, are they actually engaging and using your software, right? I mean, we anyone who works in the software world knows we had a lot of shelfware where no one was using it, but they were, you know, this doesn't stick around if they're not engaged. So I think it, it sends a lot of right signals into businesses and aligns you um, healthier. The, the other nice thing it, it does as you're growing your business is, there is the recurring nature of this revenue that allows you to finance, attract people, build your business in a, a much more linear uh, recurring uh, pattern than sort of the starts and stops uh, I used to see in other businesses where you land a big deal and you'd have to go run and go get the people. And then you were just sort of always a little mismatched. Uh, and, and this feels like a much more uh, progressive way to, to, to grow in a small business. Well, and it's interesting you bring that up in the middle of a project of of uh, working on our enterprise sales motions at Vendasta right now, and that that's one of the things that we're talking about is that lumpy thing. And then, and so you get the deal. Like I remember three years ago, I got a pretty darn big deal. Phoned the CEO, and I said, "Okay, now we just got to figure out how we're going to staff the team to deliver on what we sold this customer." So while those big deals, they get the big headlines and news releases, and you do the press release of the customer, they're really excited. You sign a three year deal. They, they have that feast or famine kind of component. And then you got to make it all come true, which really can take your eye off the ball of serving the, the customers that you have. And so there's a bit of a challenge inside that book of business. Um, how, how much are you, are you focused on acquiring that new logo, the new yeah. customer? And then how much of the organization is, is um, dedicated to retaining and growing the customer base. What does that headcount look like? And the reason I bring it up is I want our listeners, if you're even running your own book of business, it's a, it's a, 
it's something you could use to move forward on what your time allocation should be. Like how many you got to bring in more over, over how many that you're retaining. What, what do those metrics look like, Mark? So it's interesting. I would say you, you got to apply the formula depending on a stage where you're at. And so I, I sort of see it. Um, it's a bit like a, you know, if you can think about like a teeter totter on a playground, right? You're, over investing in one side and the and the it starts to get unbalanced at one particular point. So I think most businesses are sort of 80% plus in their first set of customers, whatever the, the right number is, on pure acquisition and sort of delivering sort of early stage lifecycle success with those customers. And then I think what what we have seen is people continue that pattern and don't change and don't start to put um, people. And so in our business, we, we have people who um, gets, get uh, inserted for customer success and that we continue to see them grow with the platform. Even if we're not selling them more, more of whatever we're, we're selling them, then we add on people who probably bring a little bit more of a programmatic and analytical approach as you get more and more customers and so we invest on that, what we call later life cycle part of our of our group. Um, and then it, that becomes scalable at some particular point. You don't have to keep adding people. And then that gives you the base to go back to the acquisition side. So like if I look at FreshBooks, I'll just give you a couple examples right now. In the last three years, um, we had done a really good job of, of taking care of our existing customer base. And so for two years, you know, we were doubling our acquisition team. So we were going from 25 sellers to 50 sellers to 100 sellers. Uh, and we, we over rotated there because the base that we ha had built was very sustainable. And now we're going the other way where the investment is going to be for our install base customers more to make sure that uh, we have the platform to, to not forget about our um, our existing customers. So this year we're more of a equal split of investment between the two. And I think even next year in 2023, we'll probably go even farther on the install base and existing customer um, support. Well, I, and I wanted, I, I think I know the answer because it kind of live in the same thing that you're living right now. Yeah. Um, we, we acquire those customers and then our product stack or our service offering expands and we can solve more problems. But yet if we don't staff the account management side, you can't run those plays. Correct. Yep. You got it. You got it. And, and I think um, like lots of, lots of businesses, once you've earned that customer's trust, it's much easier to go sell the existing customer base more of the stuff that they that, that 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 they need, right? And so you really have to understand, hey, there's no quote unquote new customer acquisition cost, but there is a cost of educating and helping those customers come along. And and we've got, you know, we're in, in the small business, which I think a lot of your customers are. So you you get a lot of, you know, a lot of customers in small business. So you, you're typically dealing with large customer bases that you're you're trying to service. And so you need these programmatic ways to engage your customers and and almost get them ready to buy when their their business uh, is ready to have that next conversation with you. So that's a lot of the time we spend there figuring out when are they ready to buy and when should we talk to them and, and not overwhelm them, um, just always constantly hammering on them. When I see this in organizations, when we go in and, and work with them, where, you know, one of the value propositions we have are products to sell. Yeah. 
And um, so the organization, once they figure out what that product set is for their market and for the customer base that they're serving, it actually gets easier to acquire and more repeatable. But what happens is the customers that you've acquired and you've done a really good job for, they have higher expectations of you. With great response, with great power comes great responsibility. Those customers Absolutely. now are leaning on you and it's actually sucking the life out of you on the account management side is my experience. Yeah. And, and so I think that you've got this dual-headed scale problem, scaling new customer acquisition and then scaling how you service and, um, and upsell the, the, the customers. I, I think the one thing that we always maybe take for granted on the install base of customers is just how lucrative those customers and how much they want to do business with their existing vendors. Like you, You've got to do something wrong. Someone spent a lot of time assessing you on the beginning end and hoping that you're going to deliver... <laughs> The value proposition, and so my experience has been, um, they they really do want to buy more from you because it makes life easier for them. You just have to make sure it's of the right quality, and and it's when they're re- when they're ready to buy. I think this is you know back to your earlier comment about you know monthly recurring revenue. This is the tension that you know the customer doesn't mind is they keep you honest because you got a monthly recurring, but you're probably going to get more data points from the customer. And so I personally think, and especially in small business and in large customer bases is um, figuring out like, what are the three or four data points you really want to track, whether it's product engagement, is it, um, you know, you and I have talked to think about ENPS or NPS scores. It could just be, um, at FreshBooks, we track about 11 different um, sort of what we call variables in the product that are pretty good indicators that a customer is ready to have that next conversation. And so if you can figure those out for your business, that's how you, you know, you start to scale saying, Hey, we're getting, you know, if I have a customer base of a thousand, 250 of them are giving me the signal consistently and I can programmatically go after that um, signal um, and, and really scale it. One thing I found, and this was in a meeting that I had this week with a account manager and, and they'd asked me to join them on a call with it. And I said, so what's our plan for the call? And the rep said, well, I know we're going to get on the phone and we're just going to figure out where it goes. And I said, well, what, what's going on with the account? What are they engaged with this week? What have they been working on? Have they been attending any of your one-to-many motions that you've been having? Because that person had been hosting a bit of a webinar with their customers. Oh, no, they don't do any of those things. I'm like, okay, well, is there something wrong? Yeah. Like it, it, we sold them something that we expect there to be some usage. So rather than going into that meeting without a set agenda, let the data drive what's going on with like that, those data, we don't need all the data points. I like to say, I don't need a lot of data to know my wife's mad at me, but when I'm having an account management meeting with a, with a customer, the data should point me as to how I need to retell the story or resell the value. Like, do you see that as a common problem? I, I do. And I think sometimes people, um, it doesn't have to be complicated. I think it, it just takes you some time to pause in your business and say, you know, what are the, what are the real data points that we really all have to understand as an organization before. So I'll give you a couple examples, you know, from, from FreshBooks, we do small businesses. And so there are three, three data points that we can point to that, that consistently tell us uh, it's time to have a conversation with the customer, right? One would be, you know, we can see inside of our application as they're adding staff, whether they be contractors or, you know, new employees, 
and and that is a great indicator of growth, right? And so, um, if you're a service-based business, ultimately, you know, nine times out of ten, it's going to come down to putting more people to work for your business, and so that that's a great uh, great indicator. Um, there's also just you know basic stuff we can see in the the product where we track three or four indicators, and if those start to go down, we know we've got a a potential churn problem um, coming up. And again, that's another signal we can send to the right people to say, it's not time for a sales call. It's time for a, hey, what's wrong with the product? How are we not meeting our expectations uh, with you? What's changed since the last time um, we were in there? So just a couple of like very simple examples, and there, there are many more, but I think if, if the organization starts to think about that, then the sales organization views that, the marketing organization, the support organization. And you're, as I was saying before, you're much more connected and the signals might come from different places. And, and so you need to pick that signal up as an organization and, and really um, you know, do something constructive. I'd, I'd rather have that sort of strategy than you know, hoping that the customer is gonna call you back and uh, and tell you that they're not happy or they're struggling with the product or something has changed in their in their business. There's there's usually signals out there that you can you can monitor. Point because I think that when we're talking to salespeople and that's who's our audience is, we're so focused on acquiring the next customer. We forget about the ones that we already have and growing those. I think that's a common problem that businesses have. And then the other thing is, is we're not figuring out what are those three indicators that I've got a problem. Like I, I've got a much better chance of getting out of the way that train that's coming to hit me if the lights are on the bloody thing and the horn is going off. Yes. Like, so what are those three indicators where it's all hands on deck? We've got a problem with that customer. And the other thing is, what does it cost you to get a customer? Now, you and I know those numbers, like yeah. that's beat into our heads, but I think that a lot of salespeople don't think about their cost to acquire a customer. So you damn well better take care of them after, you, after you've got them because it's hard to get new ones. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we have adopted and tried, um, you know, what I would say is uh, numerous things to incentivize around. Uh, like one of the best that I've, I've really uh, thought sort of brings the team together when you're talking about this existing customer problem is a, is a, a really quick formula that's just called annual net dollar retention, right? So, and you can do it at an individual customer. You can do it at a you know cohort or geographic um, area, and that really looks at hey, we acquired a set of revenue from this customer at the beginning. <laughs> are we growing it, and uh, are we losing losing customers? So you know, hundred percent score is basically you're treading water, not getting better or worse. You're just sort of maintaining. If you're you know above 100%, you're really doing some things well. If you're below 100%, um, you know you're starting. Those are great early indicators that either customers are leaving you, they're you know they're modifying down the revenue they have for you, and so we've started to use that as a as a as a metric to pay um, a, a lot of different groups in our uh, in our organization, and it collectively links everybody together. So you're not just first time revenue, uh, revenue focused. Well, and that, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, using annual net dollar retention as a variable comp model for people that aren't salespeople is what I think I heard you say. 100%. So we've aligned um, our customer success, our, we've aligned our support people to, to deal with different segments of our customer base, and we bonus them on 
annual net dollar retention with the customers that they uh, that they serve. Because what we find is if we only give our support people sort of like NPS scores or customer SAT scores, um, you can have a lot of customers are saying really nice things about you, but you can be leaking revenue at the at the back door, and there's no 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 alignment. So you know we try and get everyone focused on the revenue and the churn. And usually the, the churn part is where support um, comes in to help, but it just seems to be a better aligning metric for um, teams to work together and, and across functions. I've got a couple of notes here that we wanted to talk about this uh, new reality that all of us are facing when it comes to the job market. So we've got, yep. uh, there. I saw a stat here recently, you and I are both Canadians. Um, in the Canadian market, there's a hundred open jobs for sales in the software industry, and there's 25 people qualified to be able to fill those roles. And that keeps me awake at night. I'm, I'm wondering how you're feeling about that uh, that stat and, and what are you, what are you feeling when it comes to acquiring talent and where, where do you see the opportunities? Yeah, I think, you know, what, what we have seen is we have 100% seen, um, just the sort of the, the war for talent or the acquisition of talent become, uh, uh, much fiercer with, I think part of it is the ability to work anywhere. Um, I think part of it is just the amount of dollars that have flow, flown, what I would say is a lot of the sort of white collar uh, jobs. And so um, I think what we're, we're seeing is the the need to get a little bit more um, creative in how we find people with the right skills that we need to um, to do what we do. So, you know, good example I will give you is we take uh, a lot of our salespeople don't come out of traditional SaaS sales anymore. We get them um, from recruiting organizations, get them from people who, um, you know, were very entrepreneurial in their university days. They would have run, a, you know, a college pro painter or some sort of thing where they were out selling um, a lot of the time and, and we're sort of pointing them towards um, the, the, the new jobs that are, that are out there. And then I think on the technology side, um, we're really investing in teaching and sending people back to school or coursing them up rather than trying to go acquire the the skill because that seems to create loyalty to our organizations. And so it's just, you know, reorienting our approach a little bit um, to, to be an employer of choice. And, and the approach then is you're going to build them um, rather than buy. Is that, is that where you're seeing success? Yeah, so I think you know all companies that scale super super fast. You, you've got to go out and get new or people to add to your culture, but you've got to have emotion inside. Um, you know, we have a, a sort of a commitment uh, for about fifty to sixty percent of our promotions to come from people inside our organization and, and building them up. And to do that, you know, they're they're not going to acquire all the skills you need from them just because they have worked for you for the last couple of years. So it's like. How do you augment them? I see a lot more investment, not only at our organization, but a lot of organizations around a learning and development stream. 
Well, Mark, I appreciate the learnings on the monthly recurring revenue. What I was hoping to hear from you was, and we got it all, which was best practices. We can't be myopically focused on acquisition. We also have these customers we've already acquired that are paying us every month. Are they finding value and poking under that hood to, to see if there's an opportunity to expand those customers? And, uh, you know, I, I'm 100% on board with you in the development of talent. I, I, we just don't really have the option to go out and, you know, if I ran an ad in my market for experienced SaaS seller, I either know who they are or I hired them or they work for us, you know, that kind of thing. We are in a small, much smaller market. Um, I do. There's one last thing though, that I did want to understand. And I'm going to be asking this from lots of our folks this season is how are you folks dealing with remote? Like, are you 100% remote? Do you have people coming into the office? Is it a hybrid? What's the model that FreshBooks has determined? Yeah. Great, great question. So I think Everybody's got to go down this path. Uh, and so we've gone to a hybrid mode uh, by and by um, even by functional so functional areas. So um, we're just over 700 people right now. Uh, we have um, taken a look at the functional areas that really probably benefit the most for some in-person time together, sales, support, some of our marketing folks from a planning perspective. And so those folks are hybriding. They're sort of coming in two to three days a week um, because that's really advantageous to what they need to do. Um, on our technical teams, they're more uh, what I would call a remote first and coming into the office when um, they want, you know, a heavy planning, you know, uh, requirement. Or every once in a while, people are just going to want a little bit of uh, interaction with with other um, other people. So. Our expectation is um, that this will be pretty fluid over time. Uh, I think people personally, you know, for me, are going to want more of the office interaction uh, coming out of the pandemic, but we'll, um, we'll, have, to, we'll have to see. But we're, we're pretty hybrid um, right now. Well, I appreciate you taking a few minutes. I'm glad after a few years, we were able to put this thing together because I wanted to have you on the show and congratulations on FreshBooks success. We, you'd mentioned off the top that there's a trial available. How would one of our listeners be able to take advantage of that trial if they're looking to uh, sign up for FreshBooks? Yeah, thanks, George. And, and thank you for having me. It was, it's uh, uh, awesome what you're doing and in, in promoting in, in the SMB community. So thanks for the, the great work. And if anyone's interested in a FreshBooks trial, just go to freshbooks.com and uh, there'll be a free trial button right on the, the front page. All you need to give us is your email address and you're off and running in 30 days free to see if it's the right fit for you. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you for your time. Have a great day. And uh, thanks for the learnings here on the Conquer Local podcast. All right. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Mark is obviously an expert at monthly recurring revenue, and that was what I wanted to get out of him with some of those top uh, tips and best practices. We, you know, as consumers, whether it be a B2B, business to business, or a B2C, business to consumer sale, we're buying differently now. Try before you buy is the new normal. We do a lot of online education before we even get to the point of asking for a trial or a proposal. And we don't really want to get locked into two or three year deals. Now we do want the price of being locked in, but we don't really want to be locked in. So Mark talked a lot about 
how you build that book of business that's monthly recurring, how you pay attention to the metrics. He talked about they have three different metrics they track to see if somebody's, you know, going to end up leaving. And that is as important as tracking the metrics of adding staff where they might have an opportunity to grow that customer or to upsell that customer. It was actually a real uh, magic moment for me when he said, yeah, we just watch all of our customers. And when they add new staff members, we know that they're growing. That pretty much makes sense that you'll know that that client is at growth. One of the best parts of monthly recurring revenue, having these long-term customers that you earn the renewal month after month, is that we actually see as a consequence of that type of a pricing tier and go-to-market is that our customers will actually pay us more over time. They're looking to trust us first, then add more products and services. And we've found that in our experience at Vendasta that when customers, we look at customers that stayed for three or four or five years, we were solving four or five or six or seven of their problems. So by solving more problems, you have higher retention, you actually get a larger average revenue per paying account, and you have a happier, longer lived customer with higher lifetime value. What customers want though is that flexibility. They want the great price as if they stayed for three years right out of the gate, but they want to earn the right to say, no, you guys aren't living up to the standard that I have. If they have that flexibility, we're finding them way more open to looking at larger packages. And here's the thing. We all know the saying that if you love something, set it free. If you set your customers free and work hard at just running a great business and earning their renewal month after month, you're going to have a happier customer that spends more money with you at the end of the day. Monthly recurring revenue is the holy grail that we're all chasing, but it's not a right. It's something that you have to deliver on and earn over and over and over again. And I think that just makes for better companies if we're built that way. Are you preparing your prospects to buy? There's certain signs that both your agency and your customer will show to tell you that they're ready to move forward in the buying process. Keep in mind, the buyer has the power now. Used to be in the good old days, the salesperson had the power. They would come in and say, I'm going to sell you or offer you my products or services. Now, the buyer goes online, looks at the problem that they have, looks at how other people have solved it, and then they kind of find you. And we have to understand that as sales professionals, that things have changed. Don't go digging for diamonds in another backyard before you own. Focusing on revenue and churn, you can have that higher NPS score while you're leaking revenue out the back door. So you got to be careful as we look for those new deals, we might not be taking care of the existing customers that we have. I see that problem over and over and over again. I call it shiny penny syndrome. It's like, yeah, I got a pocket full of pennies, but they're a little bit dull. Whoa. Look at that shiny one over there. Now, pennies aren't even a thing anymore. Well, maybe in the US, but most places there aren't even pennies anymore. And definitely sales has changed in the way buyers are changing. So we have to be thinking about that. If you liked Mark's episode discussing pricing models, monthly recurring revenue, let's continue this conversation by checking out these episodes. Episode 405, how to leverage the power of Amazon with Lisa McNabb. And episode 253, a subscription economy with Patrick Campbell great episode from back in season two. Please subscribe and leave us a review. And thanks for joining us this week on the Conquer Local podcast. My name is George Leith. I'll see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast presented by Vendasta. Guest discovery by Zoe Schneider. Marketing by Rory Lawford and Nicole Lozon. Produced by Brett Clarenbach. Executive producers Brendan King, George Leith and Colleen McGrath. Recorded at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.